Nathan Sim waiting on his left hand side. Courtney Perkins driving in. Central in a fight. Mills! Oh, that is outstanding! Top left corner, George Mills! Something out of nothing! Unbelievable strike from George Mills! Hello everyone, it's Neil Simons here. Hope you're all having a fantastic day or evening or whenever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, we've got a very special edition of the podcast today. Uh, we are chatting with Ange Postacoglu, the Celtic manager, the Australian Asian Cup winner, loved and adored by all in the Australian footballing sphere. And thanks to TEG Live for this opportunity. Of course, Ange is returning to Australia in November with his exclusive new two-show speaking tour, An Evening with Ange Postacoglu, The Journey So Far. Enjoy this interview. We had 15 minutes with Ange. It's a doozy. It's an absolutely superb chat. Hope you all enjoy it. And thank you very much. Very good. Thanks so much, Ange, for taking your time out. Much appreciated. Um, My pleasure. Obviously, uh, I just want to talk about the National Second Division that's you know coming to place in Australia. It's been a very pertinent discussion. I guess, how important is it for Australia to re-engage some of these former NSL clubs and, I guess, establish new developmental pathways? Yeah, I think what's most important is that, as you said, you, you, you establish sort of some pathways, not just for players, but for football clubs. Um, I think um, all around the world, when you look at the sort of successful leagues um you know they they've got pathways and opportunities for for football clubs and for players and i think when you have a model that's sort of aspirational like that it it, it motivates people to to keep working hard and keep investing because they know that there's a way forward you know i think when when you know, whether you're a player or a coach or you're a football club when when you don't see a, a way forward it can be sort of disheartening because you, you question why you need to work harder or why you should put the extra effort in. So I think in any walk of life, I think the most important thing is opportunity and, uh, you know, for Australian football to grow, I think, you know, the, the one thing that's you know, constantly held us back is probably a lack of opportunity. And I guess just on that sort of <laughs> national second division as a whole, and obviously you were very successful at South Melbourne and I guess how, how important would it to be to, see these clubs perform on a national stage uh, once again? Again, it's about opportunities. I mean, you know, if you give clubs opportunities, irrespective of what club it is, then they earn the right to be there. You know, you, you, you can't earn the right to be somewhere when the opportunity isn't there for you. So um, it's not about specific clubs. It's about, you know, giving opportunities to clubs and, as I said, to players to to try and be the best they can be and, and, and have a way forward, you know, so, you know, whether that's, you know, South Melbourne or other clubs who have existed for a very long time, it's 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 about giving all clubs. Um, I mean, I think you've seen that with the FFA Cup, that, you know, all clubs feel like there's something there that they can strive for. That encourages them at all levels to to try and be the best they can be. Like, you know, it could be a small club, suburban club, and they start in the FFA Cup with dreams of maybe achieving something, I think. That's the beauty of football, and, and you know when that exists, I think that's when you can get growth. Yep, go on, George. Perfect. Hey, Dan. Um, thanks for coming on again. Um, I guess from 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 my side of things, I look at more the on-field sort of um, sort of perspective. Is I want to hear from you. You've obviously been in various different countries now. Um, you know, Australia, Japan, Scotland, whatnot. 
What challenges do you face in implementing your philosophy into a football club when you change across continents? How, how, how does that process go, especially at the beginning? Yeah, look, it's, 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 it's always a challenge, George, but I mean, I guess it's what I enjoy. That's why I've decided to sort of go down the sort of the career path I have in terms of <clears throat> whether that's like some different countries or national team or club football, they're all different kind of environments. And, you know, people are well aware I've got really sort of clear sort of beliefs in the way I want the game to play. So it's about how you implement them. And <clears throat> the one thing I've learned along the way is that you, you've got to appreciate you know, the different cultures and the different kind of environments you walk into. You can't just force people to believe in what you believe because, <clears throat> to give you an example, in Japan, um, you know, I, I didn't even speak the language, so how was I going to spell, sell my vision? And, and particularly Japanese players have a totally different upbringing and, and have a totally different sort of value system to what I had growing up. So I couldn't go there and expect them to behave a certain way because that's what I expected. So it's about adjusting <laughs> To your environment so and then just being really clear about your message but you know i think that's the bit that's easy for me i think people who know me and work with me understand that you know i'm cl pretty clear on on what i believe in and i live it and breathe it and i never i'm never going to change from it and i think people understand that pretty early and then it's about how i then you know sell give that message across to them i've enjoyed it it's all been different you know <clears throat> there's no yeah. one set football you know club football even you know, South Melbourne going to the A-League was different. Going to national team was different. Going to Japan was different. Coming here has been different. But the constant within that is that me as a person um, hasn't changed. And I've, I've, I've learned that, you know, you need to adjust the environments around you. And I guess on that sort of, I guess, philosophy standpoint, I guess a lot of the, the talk around the A-League has been about developmental pathways for players and playing youth. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of players in Scotland now, which is absolutely fantastic. I guess from your perspective, what lessons in youth development can Australia learn from Japan and, and Scotland? Opportunities. Like I said before, I think, you know, again, when I look back, you know, to the NSL days, um, there was a lot more opportunities for young players. I, I doubt, I mean, I ended up playing for Australia for four years, four times, which is not, nothing massive, but I think in the A-League system, I might have struggled to, to actually have a career because there was only, you know, potentially one club at the beginning, maybe two clubs. If I came through at that time, I wasn't an outstanding individual. But, you know, being at South Melbourne, you know, South Melbourne at the time was one of four or five clubs in, in the National Soccer League at the time. So, you know, I got an opportunity at South. <clears throat> but if I didn't get, I could have maybe got an opportunity at Heidelberg or Melbourne Knights or, you know, there was plenty of, you know, opportunities there for talented players. So that's where I think, you know, the A-League for a long time, you know, hindered the progress of our youth development because there just wasn't opportunities for guys to play. And when you have so many limited opportunities, inevitably talent won't flourish because they won't get the environment there to develop. So, uh, you know, the more opportunities we can give young players, I think, look, <clears throat> I think you just have to look at the last sort of two, three years because of COVID difficulty financially clubs have had. They've played a lot of young players in the last two, three years. And now we're seeing a lot of those young players all of a sudden <coughs> coming through, getting signed overseas. Um, the worry is now you go back to the, the previous model of, you know, just maybe recycling players and not giving player, young players an opportunity because, you know, um, clubs again have the finances to, to, 
to spend uh, a little bit more money. So, you know, I think the key to any youth development, I'll look at, if you're talking about Japan, it's got great systems and, you know, but the one thing it has got is unbelievable opportunities. There's, you know, 18 first division teams, there's, you know, 22nd division teams, there's a third division, there's a university system that if you're a talented young player in Japan, there is no chance that you're not going to get an opportunity somewhere to show who, who you are. Whereas in a country like Australia, we don't have as much talent. The, the impossible bit is we don't have much opportunity. Either. <coughs> yeah, George. Ange, um, again, this is probably slightly more personal uh, question and how you operate with your players. But um, how do you manage your relationships with your players? So uh, are you involved with them sort of a style manager where you involve them on a personal level, want to know about their personal lives, or you saw more, well, I've worked with managers who are just strictly business and, you know, they sort of don't want to worry about that. It's get on the park, do your job, go home sort of thing. Are you, are you sort of in touch with your players in that sense and their personal lives and what they do away from football? I think it's a, it's a balance of both. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not the kind anyone knows me again who, who gets too involved with, with players or staff for that matter. Uh, you know, for me, what's really important is that they see that I treat them all the same. Um, I don't treat anyone differently, whether that's a staff member, <coughs> whatever role they are, I treat them the same, the same with the players. So I treat everyone the same way. Um, and you know, from my perspective, I think the key to that is that <coughs> whilst I don't spend a lot of time with them, I, I don't, you know, I don't get involved too much in their personal lives, um, depending on how much involvement they want. Um, they all know that I care and they all know that I have a connection. If they need something, I'll... I'm always available. But I, I've never been the kind of sort of manager who, who kind of gets too close to people. Um, my mm. main role job is to <coughs> make decisions that, that are best for this football club. And, and sometimes you have to make tough decisions um, and, you know, um, sort of making sure that you've always got, you know, the person's welfare in mind. To do that, I can only do that if, I, if I'm objective in my decision-making and I treat everyone the same. So, yes, I, I, look, I do keep a distance, um, but I think I wouldn't have been successful as I have players didn't feel a connection. Correct, yeah. I guess moving to your speaking tour, uh, what I guess do you want the audience to take away from the speaking tour? Obviously, you're, you're going to be chatting with um, a Nine News presenter. Sort of what, when, when, the, when the audience leaves Margaret Court Arena, what do you want them to feel coming out of that? I guess just a, an insight into, I mean, I left Australia probably five years ago now, six years ago, and I've been abroad and I haven't been back home at all. But, you know, I've had some pretty unique experiences um, within that uh, in Japan and now here in Scotland. And, um, you know, whilst you know, people probably you know, see interviews I've done, um, it's just to give them an insight into what life's been like and what my life is like now, because, you know, we haven't had a manager at this level sort of uh, um, rarely before and, and, I know when I was in Australia, I, you know, I was always looking for for that sort of insight from people overseas about what life is like, you know, working at one of the biggest football clubs in the world. So, obviously, I, you know, I'm only back for a short time, and you know, a lot of people want to catch up with me, so it would be possible for me to do that. But you know, hopefully, they come along for the night. And like I said, I just give them a little bit of a, a window into what life's like as as a manager of one of the biggest clubs in the world, and what it's like for me today, and and I think it'll resonate more with people because, you know, where I've come from, um, you know, you can get a sort of an overseas manager coming back to Australia and giving their you know, insight into what their life's like. But I think 
people have a stronger connection because they know you know they know me and they know where my what my upbringing was like and you know hopefully they leave the night think you know having a, a real good understanding of sort of what my life's like now and, and you know in different ways hopefully it's informative might inspire a few and, and for others it might you know be a, a story they connect with because it's very similar to their own good um i guess last one for, last one for me angie is that um obviously uh the future is something that we can't control and we should probably just look to what you're doing now but over the sort of the next couple of years being a celtic manager what are the sort of goals that you've set for yourself and and, and for your team obviously you're always there and about for the for the league title i think everyone knows celtic and, and rangers always up there competing especially for the cup and things like that i guess what i'm hinting at is like in terms of champions league europa league what are some sort of targets that you set yourself for the next couple of years look i've always been the same with that it's i i, I don't I don't, I've never gone about sort of thinking about what I want to achieve or what, what targets we have. What I do want to do is create a football club that plays football a certain way and everyone talks about it. I think I've done that wherever I've been, uh, you know, whether that was at South or Brisbane, uh, you know, was there a victory for a short time in Japan? If, if I can create teams that make a little bit of a difference and, and people talk about and, um, you know, a little bit different from everyone else, then success usually follows so that's you know whether that's domestically or in europe and obviously we you know we went you know we've got one more game in champions league we've fallen short this year which has been disappointing but we've still gone out trying to play our football measure ourselves against the best we're falling short but you know i'm not discouraged by that we'll, we'll have a crack again um, you know hopefully we'll qualify again next year and go at it again and if i can get the rest of europe talking about this football club and the way it plays i mean that's that's what i want to achieve uh, final one, final one for me, um, and just I guess sort of your vision, I guess for Australian football in, in in the coming years. Do you believe that the status of Australian football now is in a better place when you left, I guess, the national team job uh, five years ago? Hard for me to say because, like I said, I haven't been home, and and you know the world's been a weird place since then with with COVID, and, and obviously, um, you know, that's affected everything um, domestically, internationally. You know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the one thing about Australian football is I always have hope that, that you know, that, that the, the better days are ahead and you kind of hope that people uh, understand, you know, what what needs to be done for the game to progress. Um, but so often we get bogged down in, in the same old arguments, the same old <coughs> sort of discussions that we've had for the last you know, 50 years in, in our game where, you know, it starts our progress. I think it's pretty simple for me is that, you know, you have a look at what football looks like in the rest of the world and you're trying to replicate that in our country rather than trying to come up something that is more Australian. I just, I've never understood that. I think we've tried to make football in our country like the other codes in Australia and there's no need. If you want to you know, turn us into a footballing country, well, have a look at what other footballing countries are doing and try and follow that model rather than you know, ourselves. But uh, I said I'm always hopeful and um, you know, um, there's definitely still that passion for the game. I, I see that, uh, you know, I get you know, the amount of people who sort of are following my progress here, uh, whether they know me or not, it shows me that you know, people are still very passionate about the game. And, um, as long as that passion exists, you know, we'll have opportunities to play. Thank you so much, Ange. Much appreciated. Best of luck for the rest of the campaign.